But if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, for a short while, if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're looking this evening at verse 10 down to the end of the chapter, concluding the letter. But we'll just read again at verse 18. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18, where Paul writes, I have received full payment, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when we began our study of this letter to the Philippians, I showed you uh, this commentary, the commentary that I've been using to help prepare and preach on these different passages. And I showed you the commentary because on the front cover it doesn't have a nice picture, uh, like most books do, but... On the front cover, it gives you the promise of the book. And the promise, well, the promise that's written on here to the reader, it says, this is for you to read, gazing at the joy of gospel faith. This is for you to feed, helping you to meditate on God's word day by day. This is for you to lead, equipping you to teach the Bible to others. This is Philippians for you. And now having read uh, the commentary, I know that, uh, well, it's true to its promise. But you know, as we said before, the promise on the front cover of this commentary, it's the same promise that the letter to the Philippians gives to us. Because when we started our study of this letter, we were assured of this same promise. This letter is for you to read, gazing at the joy of gospel faith. This is for you to feed helping you meditate on God's word day by day. This letter is for you to lead, equipping you to teach the Bible to others. This is Philippians for you. And without doubt, Paul's letter to the Philippians, it has fulfilled its promise. Because as we have read through this letter, we have gazed at the the joy of gospel faith, we have fed upon the word of God, And it has also led us and equipped us to live out the gospel and teach others how to live out that gospel. And that's because the letter to the Philippians, it's all about having or experiencing joy in the gospel. And we've said before that Paul mentions rejoicing or joy. He mentions it 16 times in his letter. And so what he's emphasizing to us is that True, lasting Christian joy, it doesn't come from wealth or from the world, because it can only come from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Steve Lawson, he writes in in this commentary, he says, genuine joy is not dictated by your changing circumstances. Genuine joy is found in Jesus Christ, the unchanging Lord. And that's what Paul has reminded us in this letter. Because as we know, Paul's circumstances, they were far from perfect. He was under house arrest. He was chained to a Roman soldier day and night. And he was awaiting to hear if he will be put to death or not. And yet what we have seen in this letter is that Paul is rejoicing in the Lord. 
And he's urging the Philippians and he's urging us to rejoice in the Lord too. And we've seen that as we've studied uh, this letter together. We saw back in chapter 1, Paul opened with his joyful prayer. But he said to the Philippians, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. And then Paul spoke about joyful preaching and that whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And Paul said, in that I rejoice. When we went into chapter 2, we were confronted with this joyful paradigm the paradigm of Jesus' humility and his love and obedience, his obedience unto death, even the death on the cross. And Paul said to us, complete my joy by being of the same mind as Jesus, having the same love and being of one mind. And then Paul went on, he told us about this joyful progression that's going on in our life and that we must work out our own salvation because it's God who is working in you both to will and to do For his own good pleasure. And then we went into chapter 3. Paul showed us that we have received a joyful position. Because we have a righteousness that is not our own. But it's a righteousness that comes by faith alone through Christ alone. And then last week as we began chapter 4. Paul spoke about the need for joyful peace with one another. That we're not to quarrel with one another. But we're to rejoice in the Lord always. By bringing all our concerns to God in prayer. And so throughout this letter of having the joy of gospel faith. Paul has emphasized that through lasting Christian joy. It only comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And having spoken about all these different things. About his joyful prayer. The need for joyful preaching. Following the joyful paradigm. Seeing that we have a joyful progression, we have a joyful position in Christ, we also need joyful peace with one another. Having spoken about all that, Paul brings his letter to its conclusion. And he says finally that as a Christian, he has received a joyful provision. And that's how Paul brings his letter to the conclusion. He speaks about the joyful provision he has received. And there are just three things I'd like us uh, to highlight from this closing section. Three C's. Contentment, connection, and of course, conclusion. Contentment, connection, and conclusion. So first of all, Paul talks about contentment. Look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. And you know, what Paul says in these verses, it's something that the society we live in today needs to hear. Because in our Western world, our society, it is in a constant state of discontentment. 
Because, well, when we look at what's around us, when we're discontent with our wife or our husband, we go and get another one. When we're discontent with our job, we look for one with more pay. When we're discontent with our children's education, we move them to another school. When we're discontent with our home, well, we sell it or we take out a massive mortgage and we get an extension. When we're discontent with our car, well, we trade it in. When we're discontent with the way we look, we get a makeover. Some people, they get a facelift or implants. When we're discontent with our TV or our mobile phone, we upgrade it to the newest model. And you know, it wouldn't matter whether it's personal or politics or sport or fashion or whatever it may be, we are surrounded by discontentment. We're surrounded by people trying to fill that void in their life so that they can have some form of satisfaction and that feeling of worth. And sadly, all too often, that mindset of discontentment, it can be found in the lives of Christians where we become discontent with what we have and we think that we deserve better or we think that we'll only have true satisfaction with the next purchase or the next activity or the next renovation or the next holiday. Or we think that if we look better and we have nicer clothes and a prettier hairstyle and good makeup and a fit body that we'll have some form of self-worth. But you know, my friend, I look at what Paul says here and he reminds me that the only place that I'm ever going to find contentment and satisfaction and worth The only place I'm going to find it is through my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because true lasting contentment can only be found by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul had. Paul, he says, that he learned the secret of contentment by staying close to Jesus. Paul learned the secret of contentment by staying close to to Jesus. And you know, that's what David was reminding us in the Psalms that we've been singing. Uh, we sang earlier in Psalm 34. And David opens Psalm 34 by blessing the Lord and praising the Lord and boasting in the Lord. And he had joy in the Lord. And he even exhorted everyone around him to exalt the name of the Lord together. And David explained in verse 10. He explained that his joy and contentment was wonderful because he says in verse 10, the lion's young may hungry be and they may lack their food, but they that truly seek the Lord shall not lack any good. And like Paul, David had come to discover that when we are close to Jesus, there is contentment, there is satisfaction, there is worth because we lack nothing. We lack nothing. And you know, is it any wonder to us then that David confessed in Psalm 23, our first psalm, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. My friend, David knew that the secret of contentment is to stay close to Jesus. Because it's only through our personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we will experience contentment, satisfaction, and worth. But as we all know, it's not easy to stay close to Jesus. There are many distractions, many temptations that come into our life and take our focus away. But Paul says here that he learned to be content in whatever situation he was in. And Paul only learned 
this contentment, this satisfaction, this worth. He only learned it through some of the most difficult and trying situations in his life. And that's because, well, the Lord brings things into our lives, not to drive us away from him, but always to drive us to him, always to make us get to know him more. The Lord brings difficult circumstances and trying situations into our lives so that we will not seek out contentment or satisfaction or worth from the world, but that we will seek it in Jesus Christ. And you know, it's amazing to read of how Paul learned the secret of contentment. Because when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, Paul explained how he learned to be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. But on top of that, Paul went into chapter 12 and he explained that he received a thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My friend, the Lord taught Paul, and Paul learned to be content in whatever situation he was in. And he learned it through some of the most difficult and trying situations in his life. And Paul learned this because what he came to discover was that in whatever situation he was faced with, God's grace would always be sufficient for him. And that's the promise we have as those who have confessed the Lord as our shepherd. We're still learning and we're learning that in every situation we are faced with in life, we can know contentment and satisfaction and worth only because of God's sufficient and sustaining grace. And what's remarkable is that it was because of God's sufficient and sustaining grace that Paul could go on to say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was emphasizing the all things uh, because it's interesting that in the original language that when Paul wrote the sentence, the word order, it begins all things. All things I can do through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was emphasizing the all things and when Paul says all things, he means all things. And you know, was that not what Jesus said? Without me, 
Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. And that's what Paul learned. He learned contentment. He learned satisfaction. He learned worth because of God's sufficient grace. And through God's grace, Paul discovered that he could do all things through Christ, strengthening him. But you know, it was because Paul had learned the secret of contentment. He wanted to teach others. He didn't want to keep it to himself. He wanted to teach the Philippians. He wanted to teach the Corinthians. And he also wanted to teach that young apprentice that he had, Timothy. Because when Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, he said to him, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on to say, for we brought nothing into this world, And it's certain that we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Through which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, says Paul, but you, O man of God. Of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Because of his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul had contentment. He had satisfaction. He had worth. He knew that his identity was only in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He had discovered the joyful provision of of God's sustaining grace through all things. And because of this, he wanted everyone else to know this contentment for themselves. And so in this concluding section on joyful provision, we see contentment. But then secondly, we see connection. We see connection. Paul says in verse 13, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so as Paul brings his letter to its conclusion, he he does so with an expression of of gratitude for the ministry partnership that he continues to maintain and enjoy with the Christians in Philippi. And Paul says to the Philippians, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And that word share in verse 14, it means fellowship or partnership. And it's the same word that Paul uses in verse 15, where he says, And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So it's in verse, he mentions the word sharing or partnership in verse 14 and in verse 15. But what's interesting is that this partnership, this connection which Paul had with the Philippians, it must have meant an awful lot to him. Because it's one of the first things Paul mentions at the beginning of his letter. You'll remember in chapter one, just after Paul has given his greeting, 
He says in verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul mentioned this partnership at the beginning of his letter and now he mentions it here again at the end of his letter, which only highlights how thankful Paul was for the partnership and fellowship of the church in Philippi. Paul rejoiced because of his partnership and fellowship in the gospel. But you know, when Paul had fellowship with the Philippians, they weren't taken up with arguing over the finer points of theology and going nowhere. No, for Paul, partnership in the gospel, fellowship in the gospel, it was all about sharing joy in the gospel. They shared the joy that they had in salvation. They had fellowship in the joy of the gospel. They shared about how the gospel was shaping their lives. They shared with Paul about their about how the word of God was affecting them and challenging their Christianity. They discussed openly and honestly about their worries and their doubts and their struggles and their temptations. They had fellowship with one another. They had fellowship with their pastor, Paul. And because they shared with Paul and because they opened up to him and when he was there planting the church, they let him into their homes and into their families and into their hearts, their love for one another deepened and their joy in the Lord increased and you know my friend that's what gospel partnership is all about that's what true christian fellowship is it's sharing our joy in the lord and his wonderful salvation but paul says here that his partnership with the philippians it went even further and it went further because they provided financial help for him these Monetary gifts which Paul received from the church at Philippi. It proved that the Philippians had taken their partnership with Paul seriously. It wasn't this superficial partnership. We are praying for you. And that was it. It was a partnership of love. A partnership out of a genuine concern for the welfare of one another. It, was, it worked both ways. And Paul explains that when he left Philippi after planting the church 10 years before he wrote this letter he says there was no congregation that supported him like they did he says in verse 15 just to read it again you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only Paul confesses that it was only the Philippians who had consistently given him financial support for him to continue in his ministry. And then Paul says in verse 16, even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. So after Paul left Philippi 10 years ago, from this point, he traveled south. And we read it in the, the book of Acts. He traveled south through Greece until he came to Thessalonica. But you'll remember that when Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, it caused an uproar, just like the one it did in Philippi. But through much tribulation, the church in Thessalonica was planted. And at, a, at such a difficult and a demanding time when 
Well, Paul was stretched financially. The Philippians, they stood with him and they gave him monetary gifts of support. They partnered with Paul in the work of the gospel. And Paul explains, he goes on in verse 17, to say that he wasn't actually seeking financial help from the Philippians. He wasn't asking for it. He wasn't even expecting it. But it was a gift graciously and freely given to to him. And you know, that's what true gospel partnership is. It's graciously, freely, and willingly giving in order to support the work of the gospel. You know, the truth is we don't like to talk about money. No one wants to broach the, the subject. No one wants to come out and say, we need your money. But you know, Steve Lawson in his commentary, and I've loved reading this commentary, he says in his commentary, every believer should be one who invests financially in the work of the Lord. We should be like the Philippians by supporting servants and ministries who are faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we give to the work of spreading the gospel, we are wisely using what has been entrusted to us for the greater glory of God. And you know, it's good for us to partnership with other ministries and other missionaries across the world. Whether we do it as a congregation or as individuals, it's good for us to provide prayerful and practical help to those who are serving the Lord in other places. And we do that already in some cases with Gavino and Suraj and others. So it's good for us to help and to support the work of the ministry. But then Paul goes on in verse 18 to remind the Philippians that their connection with him and their contribution to his ministry, he says, it's an act of spiritual worship. He says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says that he has received everything in full and more. That's to say say that his needs have been amply met and he has an abundance of all that he needs. And these generous gifts, he says that they were brought to Paul in prison by this faithful, faithful servant, Epaphroditus. He had made this 800 mile journey to Rome. And as we saw back in chapter two, it was a journey that nearly killed Epaphroditus. But Paul says that their connection and their contribution to him, it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And by this, Paul is eager to express to the Philippians that their connection with him and their contribution to him, it serves a much higher purpose than simply meeting his needs. Because he says their stewardship was an act of worship to God. You know, Paul, uses this vivid illustration by saying their financial gift was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing to God. And what he's giving to us there about the sacrifice or the fragrant offering, he's giving us the Old Testament imagery of a sacrifice being offered upon the altar. And in that act of worship, when the sacrifice was on the altar, incense would have to be poured upon the sacrifice. And as the incense was poured and as it was burned, 
There would be the sweet-smelling fragrance that would rise up. And that's what would bring pleasure to God, that sweet-smelling savour. And Paul says to the Philippians, in a similar manner, your gift is an expression of worship that is well-pleasing to God. One commentator says about verse 18, he says, here is the ultimate purpose and the greatest motive for our financial giving to the gospel ministry. More than meeting the needs of God's ministers, the highest aim is the pleasure it brings to the Father. Such sacrificial gifts are offered as an act of worship that brings pleasure to God. But notice in verse 19, that because of their sacrificial giving, Paul assures them of a promise. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now this wasn't a promise of prosperity. Paul wasn't giving to them the prosperity gospel. But he was assuring them that if they give to the work of the gospel, they will not be in want. If they seek the extension of Christ's kingdom, they will lack no good thing. If they seek first the kingdom of God, well, all other things will be added to them. And you know, this ties in with what Paul was saying about contentment, that the secret of contentment is staying close to Jesus. Because when the Lord is our shepherd, and when we contribute to the work of helping to make others know the Lord as their shepherd, the shepherd promises that his sheep will not be in want. His sheep will not be in want. But how does Paul conclude this section? He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Even though Paul finds himself in a difficult situation, he gives glory to God for the Philippians. And he gives glory to God for their goodness towards the work of the gospel. And so in this closing section of joyful provision, we see contentment, we see connection. And then lastly and briefly, we see conclusion. Conclusion. It says in verse 21, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, Paul's letter to the Philippians was one of the most loving and affectionate of all his letters. And in these concluding words of his letter, Paul wants to assure the church in Philippi that he and those who are with him, that they are praying for the church in Philippi. He's, that they're praying for them. And you know, it would have been a great encouragement to the Philippians to know that they're being continually remembered and prayed for. And you know, it should always be a reminder to us that if we are genuinely praying for someone, that we tell them. We tell them about it. To encourage them. Because there's nothing more encouraging than to know that the Lord's people are bringing you to the throne of grace. And that they're presenting you to the Lord in prayer. There's nothing more encouraging than that. And that's what Paul does here. He wants the Philippians to know that he and many others they are praying for them. And he says, even those of Caesar, especially those of Caesar's household, they were the most unlikely characters 
They were the Roman soldiers who were chained to Paul day and night. And yet because Paul was chained to them, you'll remember we read that many of them were being converted. They were being converted through his preaching. And yet now they're praying for the church in Philippi. They're thinking and praying for these Christians whom Paul is writing to. But what are they praying for? They're praying, as he says in verse 23, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with them. They're praying that this letter, the letter that he's now written and is ready to be sent, he's praying that this letter will be used to help them serve the Lord where they are and ultimately bring glory to God. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful letter. And so having spoken about Paul's joyful prayer, the need for joyful preaching, following the joyful paradigm, seeing joyful progression, having a joyful position in Christ, the need for joyful peace with one another, and the joyful provision that we have in Christ. You know, it's safe to say at the conclusion of this letter that it has fulfilled its promise. It has fulfilled its promise because when we started our study, we were assured of the promise that's written on this book. This is for you to read. This letter is for you to read, gazing at the joy of gospel faith. This letter is for you to feed, helping you to meditate on God's word day by day. This letter is for you to lead, equipping you to teach the Bible to others. This is Philippians for you. It's a great promise. So may the Lord bless our study and may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Now let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, that we have it in our own language, that we have the ability and even the understanding to study thy word together. It is a great privilege, Lord, to sit under thy word And we pray that as we come to it day by day, and as we read it both in public and in private, that, Lord, that thou wouldest shape us, that thou wouldest give to us that joy in our faith, to know that we are redeemed by Jesus, that we are loved with an everlasting love, that we have the promise of his grace always being sufficient for us, and that, Lord, we have the indwelling of thy Holy Spirit, that we have a great promise that thou art one who will never leave us, and who will never forsake us. Encourage us then, we pray. Bless our study to us, that it would strengthen us in our faith, that it would equip us to serve thee more faithfully, more diligently, that we, O Lord, would give thee the glory in all that we seek to do. Bless us, Lord, we ask thee. Keep us close to Jesus, following his footsteps, always looking to him, knowing him and loving him as the author and the finisher of our faith. Cleanse us then, we ask. Go before us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll bring our service to a conclusion by singing in Psalm 89. Psalm 89 in the Scottish Psalter, page 345. Psalm 89, we're singing in verse 15. Down to the verse marked 18. O greatly blessed the people are, the joyful sound that know, in brightness of thy face, O Lord, they ever on shall go. 
They in thy name shall all the day rejoice exceedingly, and in thy righteousness shall they exalted be on high. Down to the verse marked 18 of Psalm 89, to God's praise. Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.